Well, I, I don't think that it would be any overstatement at all to say that cultural storms are brewing all around us all the time. Cultural storms are brewing all around us all the time. You uh, probably don't need me to tell you that. You can walk back into your workplace this week, you can walk back into a classroom later this week, and you can see firsthand for yourself, based on your own personal experience, that there are cultural storms that are brewing all around us all the time. If you have uh, followed at all the confirmation hearings in the United States Supreme Court over the past number of weeks, maybe even if you have just followed that from a distance even over the past few days, you know that this is no longer just a battle of differing political ideologies, but this has devolved into an all-out war on the nature of truth itself. There are cultural battles, cultural storms that are brewing all around us all the time. It's not unlike the stories of Hurricane Florence that we have heard of over the past number of weeks as well. I am certainly not a meteorologist. Can't even spell that word, let alone be one. Um, But based on my very limited understanding of how weather systems work, a hurricane begins as a small weather disturbance. And then over time, it begins to gain momentum. And as it gains momentum, the temperature within the water begins to change. And at that point, the chaos is really unleashed when pockets of air begin to move away from the places where they should be and go to places where they should not be. And it creates irreparable damage that uh, sometimes, if you can repair it, it takes extensive periods of time from which to recover. I would submit to you this morning that there are cultural storms brewing all around us all the time, and it is wreaking havoc in the church. Not necessarily in this church. It is wreaking havoc in the church of Jesus Christ. And there are many followers of Jesus Christ who in the midst of those storms are finding it easier simply to give in to the rolling tides of the storm rather than stand firm against the storm. And all of these storms, these spiritual hurricanes, so to speak, begin as these small spiritual disturbances. And over time, these disturbances begin to gain momentum. And as they gain momentum, the temperature, spiritually speaking, begins to change within the church and often not in a very good way. But the chaos really begins to happen as pockets of people begin to move away from places where they should be. Pockets of people begin to move into different places away from beliefs that they should continue to hold because it's in those beliefs that they stand firm and strong on the truth of the Word of God. As that happens, as people move away from the places where they should be, it's in that moving away that chaos is unleashed and it leaves tidal waves of destruction wherever it goes and often it takes extensively long periods of time from which to recover. If you have your Bible this morning, I hope you do, take it and turn with me to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6, and uh, just to give you a little bit of context as we open our Bibles Uh, to Daniel 6. This is uh, the story of Daniel in the lion's den. 
This is one of the more popular stories in the Bible. In fact, as we turn here, you might have images in your mind right now of your well-meaning Sunday school teacher when you were a child pulling out flannel graph Daniel and throwing him to the flannel graph lions and and that well-meaning Sunday school teacher maybe not doing the kind of justice that this story deserves. Daniel chapter 6, the people of God have been exiled into Babylon for 70 years and through that time, Daniel has risen to positions of prominent power within foreign kingdoms. And what has made Daniel different through that entire stretch of time was that for all of his friends and for all of his co-workers, for all of the other people who gave in to the storms rather than standing strong against the tide, Daniel remained faithful to his God. Daniel stood strong and remained faithful to his God. And We look at Daniel chapter 6 right now. We open God's word to it, and this is like the classic case of peer pressure. We tend to couch it sometimes in more biblical terminology. We call it the fear of man. And I wonder, have you ever faced peer pressure? Have you ever been pushed and pushed and pushed so hard by people that you thought were your friends into doing something that you know to be wrong? And please understand, even as I ask this question right now, I'm not just speaking to the kids here. I'm not just speaking to young people or to college students here in our family. I'm I'm speaking to all of us because as we all know, it doesn't really matter how old we are, that peer pressure or the fear of man, it never goes away. And all of that's highlighted by the reality that at this point in Daniel chapter 6, Daniel is no longer just a a man in his 20s, maybe in his early 30s, like we often sometimes think of him being when we read these stories. Instead, Daniel right now, remember, he has lived through the entirety of this 70 years in exile. Daniel at this point is well into his 80s, maybe even into his 90s at this point. Daniel has seen the Babylon that has taken his people into captivity be overthrown by the kingdom of Persia. This book of Daniel, and particularly this story here in chapter 6, is written for people who are in exile. It's written for people who are living in captivity. They're living in a foreign nation with foreign customs, and they're being pressured on every side to do things that they know is not right, that they know would not honor God. They are living in a culture whereby they are constantly being tempted to ignore God's ways. Sound familiar to anybody? Here we are, all these years later, after Daniel chapter 6, and the Bible says that we as followers of Jesus Christ, we are exiles. We are strangers in this world. Very often as we live as strangers in this world, we find it very easy to be tempted to simply walk away from God's ways. Find the temptations very hard simply to give in to the rolling waves of the storm rather than to stand strong against the storm. And so the question that we're faced with this morning as we come to Daniel chapter 6 is a question of utmost importance for us. How do we live for God when the cultural storms are brewing all around us all the time? How do the people of God live for God when the cultural storms are brewing all around us all the time? As followers of Jesus Christ, where will we go to find shelter in the time of storm? As we open to Daniel 6 this morning, I want to share with you four biblical anchors 
that no matter what the storm you face, whether the storm for you is personal, whether you see the cultural storms brewing all around you all the time, no matter what storm you might be in right now, four biblical anchors, and you can know that you can take any of these anchors, all of these anchors, and drop them into the water of your storm and know that God will keep you close. Four biblical anchors for the storm. Here's the first. God will strengthen us to live differently. Let's pick up the story, Daniel chapter 6 and verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. So the section begins here by introducing us to Darius. Uh, He is the king. That could be his name. It could be his title. Either way, he's the king over Persia. And he has commissioned 120 satraps or 120 administrators who would govern various portions of the provinces of his kingdom. And over those 120 administrators were three high officials. Daniel is one of those high officials, and we begin to see who Daniel was in verse 3. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps. That word uh, distinguished in verse 3 is a very important word. That word literally means not simply to set something apart, but it carries the connotation of brilliance. In other words, when people in this culture began to look at Daniel and observe his life and even compare and contrast him to the people directly around him, there was something different about Daniel that the people around him could not ignore. Like just think of, of the culture in which he lived and imagine how dark and, and how desperate and how far away from God and year by year, decade by decade, people moving farther and farther away from God, finding new ways to disengage with God. And in the middle of that darkness then steps a man and his name is Daniel and he is, the Bible says, distinguished. He is brilliant. His character is very different so that when people look at him, they see someone very different. It's like a spotlight shining into that very dark place. When the spotlight goes on, everybody can't help but turn and see where the light's coming from and see why the light is there and see what makes such a big difference. That's Daniel's life at this particular point. He is distinguished and verse 3 goes on to say that there was an excellent spirit within him. He enjoyed God's favor. He had God's blessing upon his life, so much so in fact that Verse 3 goes on to tell us that the king noticed that and the king had it in his mind to make Daniel the second in authority in all of his kingdom next only to the king himself. The problem was that the king wasn't the only one who noticed. All of a sudden, these 120 satraps and these other two high officials begin to notice that the king is taking notice of Daniel as well. And so they start to plot against Daniel. We read this in verse 4. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault. In other words, these guys did all of their opposition research on Daniel. They tried to find any ways in his work and in his life where there might be some form of corruption, but they could find none whatsoever. Verse 4 goes on and says, because he was faithful and no error or fault 
was found in him. Those words there in verse 4 literally mean that Daniel did not cut corners. He was not lazy. There was no corruption within him. The point simply is this. Daniel is being used by God, not because of his capabilities, but because of his character. Daniel is being used by God, not because of his capabilities, but because of his character. You could say it like this too. Daniel is about to be used by God, not because of what Daniel can do, but because of what God is already doing in Daniel. That's why God is using him. We need to understand, loved ones, that no matter what the storms we go through, whether they're personal storms around us or cultural storms that we see brewing around us, that all of our abilities, all of our talents, all of the strength that we have within us will never never be enough to get us through those storms. Instead, we need to be people who are falling down upon our knees before God in humility and crying out before him and saying, God, we need you. Just like we've been singing this morning, all we need is you. God, we can't do this on our own. We can't fight these battles on our own. For all the storms brewing around us, we will never be able to keep our heads above the water by ourselves. God, we need your strength. And so we are laying our lives down here before you, God, and we are ready to be used however you want to use us. And why is that so important? It's important because we only have one life to live. And this life is too short. And eternity is too long. And this battle is too real for us to be wasting our lives on things that simply don't matter. Listen, this is the prayer that God loves to hear. This is the prayer that God loves to answer. And this is the life that God loves to bless. See, we look at this and we see all of this that's happening here in Daniel chapter 6. And this is not about Daniel and it's not about us trying to be more faithful to God so that God in return then will give more to us. It's not about God giving us more money or a greater reputation or a promotion or this or that. That is a prosperity gospel that we outright reject. Instead, this right here is preparing the moral and the spiritual foundations of our lives so that when those storms hit, we are ready for them. We are ready to stand firm in our relationship with God. I mean, we see this all around us all the time, don't we? You see this at work, you see this at school, you see this in your friendships wherever you go. And I pray, even right now in this moment, that, that God would give us spiritual eyes to see the realities of what is taking place around us. Think about this, students. Students, what are you going to do when you walk into your classroom and your teacher or your classmates or your peers look at you and say, because of your relationship with God, that makes you weak and foolish. Employees, what are you going to do when you walk into the break room at work and you're sitting around the table and your coworkers know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ and eventually the conversation comes around and they think that because you're a follower of Christ that that must make your views on marriage and the family not only unrealistic and out of touch, but that must make you also intolerant and judgmental. Business owners, what are you going to do when, when you're told that you won't receive funding or benefits or even basic opportunities unless you are willing to affirm something that you know to not be true? Church, what are we going to do when we're told that our very basic rights and freedoms will be trampled on by other rights and freedoms and other faiths unless we are willing to compromise on values that are absolutely core and central to us.
tell you what we're going to do as a church. We are going to stand strong in our belief that God will strengthen us to live differently in the midst of a dark culture all around us. So I wonder, does your life shine the brilliance of Jesus Christ? A character, a heart, integrity that has been changed by Jesus Christ? Is that the brilliant light that is flowing out of you, that is flowing out of me? Is that the light that is flowing out of this church into the dark and dying city around us? Do we shine like a spotlight in the midst of the darkness around us? No matter how dark it gets, anchor number one, God will strengthen us to live differently. That leads us now to anchor number two. God will fortify us to fear him instead of fearing man. Let's pick it up, verse five. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, The counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. So what's happening here is that these 120 satraps and these two other high officials above them trick the king into signing this law that nobody in all of the land should pray to any person or any god other than the king himself for a period of the next 30 days. And whoever does that, the consequence for them will be to be thrown into this den of lions, which was actually more of a pit. And kings had uh, kings had pits for different things, and some kings used a pit for a prison, and they would throw criminals in there as their punishment. just so happens that Darius had a pit, and he put lions in there, and he used it as capital punishment for anybody who disobeyed him. And so these people come to the king, and they trick him into signing this law. It says, according to the Medes and the Persians. That basically means that the, the Medes and the Persians were the dominant world empire at the time, and any time that you signed a law according to the Medes and the Persians, it meant that you could not revoke it. No matter how hard you tried, no matter what you did, in our vernacular, we would say there are no changey backsies, okay? You just couldn't go back on it. No matter what you did, there was no turning back. That was the law. So imagine now the spot that that puts Daniel in. Try and place yourself in the story. Try and feel a little bit of what he's going through right now in this moment as as he knows that this is about to go down. He's wondering, what does he do? Do I obey the law of God or do I obey the law of man? Do I do do what God has told me to do or am I going to cave into the peer pressure of the culture around me? What do I do? What would you do? What's Daniel going to do? Let's pick it up in verse 10 and find out. Verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, 
The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. So again, put yourself into the story and try and, try and feel a little bit of what Daniel must have been feeling in this moment right now. And, and think to yourself, could Daniel have changed his prayer routine for the next 30 days? Sure he could have. Uh, could Daniel have maybe waited for 30 days and, and then at the end of that month when the law ran out, then he would go back to his prayer routine again? Sure, he could have done that too. Could Daniel have found a place somewhere else within the kingdom where nobody else would ever see him, nobody else would ever know he was there and simply pray there? Yeah, he could have done that too. He could have done any of those things or any number of other things, but he doesn't do any of them. And why? Why doesn't Daniel do any of those things? He doesn't do those things because as Daniel looks at this law that has just been passed, he realizes that this is not just a random occurrence that is happening at that particular time and that particular place. He's doing this because he realizes that this is not just an indication of how the cultural tides are changing all around him. Daniel does this because he realizes that this law that has been passed is a direct attack upon his God. You know, I have to wonder, I have to look around at the culture in which we live today and, and wonder if some of the discussions and some of the debates and, and some of the things that we hear going on around marriage and the family and human sexuality and faith and the basic human dignities that we extend to other people, whether they are born yet or not, that these are not just random occurrences that are happening at this particular time and this particular place. That these are not just indications of how the cultural tides are changing all around us and we need to adjust with it, but instead, these discussions and these debates that are taking place are actually an attack on the living God himself. I mean, I, I find it so interesting to read this story in Daniel 6 and, and to see that Daniel's enemies attack him at what they believe to be the point of his greatest weakness, his relationship with God. And yet Daniel is responding to this from the point of his greatest strength, which is his relationship with God. And that is what drives him away from the fear of man. That's what drives him away from peer pressure and drives him to the throne of grace before God. Because he realizes that God, his relationship with God, is the point of greatest strength within his life. And so verse 10, he goes back to his house and he begins to pray. I, I love these few verses here in Daniel chapter 6 because they teach us how to pray when the cultural storms are brewing all around us. So you can jot these down, five ways to pray when the cultural storms are brewing all around us. Here's the first, pray with perspective. Pray with perspective. Verse 10 says, that Daniel went back and he prayed with his windows open toward Jerusalem. It's actually a very significant point there. Jerusalem was Daniel's home. 
And Jerusalem had been destroyed in, uh, when, when the people were taken into captivity. And uh, in Jerusalem, uh, the temple of God was there. And in the temple of God was the presence of God. And so as Daniel now goes up into his chamber and he opens the window and looks out onto Jerusalem as he prays, this is a very vivid reminder for Daniel that the place where he is at that exact moment is not his home. He's not staying there. And as we pray, and as we go through the storms of our life, the personal storms and the cultural storms that we see around us all the time, we need to pray with this kind of clear vision that as followers of Jesus Christ, we are strangers and exiles within this land and this place where we are at this time and in this place, this is not our home. We have been promised by a gracious and loving and merciful God of a new city where all of the sin and all of the shame will be wiped away and God himself will be the one to set all things straight and to make all things new. And so when we look around us and we see the darkness and we see the brokenness, oh, loved ones, may we be a people who pray with perspective. And second, Pray with humility. Verse 10 tells us that Daniel got down on his knees three times a day before God. Uh, Make a note of this. God is the only king worth bowing to. Not King Darius. Not a prime minister. Not a president. There's only one king worth bowing down to. Daniel Henderson has a a great phrase that kind of captures this really well. He says, The only enduring motive for prayer is that God is worthy to be sought. The only enduring motive for prayer is that God is worthy to be sought. So what's going to keep us coming back to God over and over and over again about the storms that we go through is that God himself is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our worship and he is worthy to be prayed to. He is the only God. He is the only king who is worthy of us bowing down to. So we pray with humility. Third, we pray with thankfulness. Notice verse 10 that Daniel begins his prayer by giving thanks to God. Do you know what it is when all we do is complain about all the things that we see going wrong around us? You know what that is? It's just a symptom of a deeper problem within our heart that we do not believe that God has the ability to change what is wrong around us. When all we do is complain, it's just a symptom deeper within our heart that we do not believe that God has the ability to change the things that we see going on around us. Now, I'm not saying that we should not have a voice in the public square. I'm not saying that as followers of Jesus Christ that we should not speak into the issues of our day and speak biblical truth and gospel-centered truth into those issues. We should. But when the only time that our voices are heard is when we complain, That's just symptomatic of a deeper problem within our heart that we do not believe that God has the ability to fix what has gone wrong around us. So we need to pray. Yes, we need to pray for God to have mercy upon our world, upon our nation, upon our province, upon our city. Yes, we need to pray for God to continue to move in power among the people around us and change the darkness to light. But let's begin our prayers with thanksgiving. 
Let's come before this glorious God and thank him for what he has done for us. Let's thank him for the rights and the freedoms that we do have. Let's thank him for the rights and the freedoms that we do still enjoy, even if we may only enjoy them for a short time to come. We don't know that. But let's thank our God that despite all of the chaos that we see going on around us, that he alone is still sovereign over us. Let's pray with thankfulness. And then fourth, pray for help. Verse 11 The accusers come in and they find Daniel praying and pleading with his God. I was reading this week through Acts chapter 4. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible and um, especially this particular part here in Acts chapter 4. The early church at this particular time was dealing with a lot of the same things that Daniel was dealing with here in chapter 6. And the early church was facing persecution from the authorities and from the leaders around them. They were preaching the gospel. People were getting saved. Lives were being changed. The darkness was being pushed back, and, and the religious leaders were getting jealous, and it was a threat to their power. So they say, you can't keep doing that. You can't keep proclaiming the gospel. And so what does the church do? They gather, and they pray. And listen to how they prayed. Acts 4, verse 24. And When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? Kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So notice this. They begin their prayer with a recognition of God's sovereignty, not only over their nation and their authorities, but a recognition that God is in complete control of everything that they're dealing with, complete control of Jesus going to the cross. Then in verse 29, they continue their prayer and they say this, And now, Lord, look upon the threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, did they pray for deliverance? I'm sure they did. Fast forward in Acts to chapter 12, and they prayed for Peter to be delivered from prison, but notice how they began their prayer. They begin by acknowledging that God is sovereign over everything that they're going through, and then they pray, Lord, please help us. Lord, help us get through what we're going through. Lord, help us to stand strong in the midst of all of these storms that we see raging around us. God, help us, I pray, to continue to proclaim your gospel with all boldness, that in the midst of the darkness that we see around us, that we would proclaim the light of Jesus Christ. So we pray for help, because we can't do that on our own. And then fifth, we pray with perseverance. Notice that, Daniel prays every day, three times a day, before his God. You know, I, I look at Daniel 6, and, and I look at the context in which we live today, and I can't help but think that on some level, this is becoming more and more and more a call for us as believers in Jesus Christ to be prepared to live dangerously for the gospel. That more and more and more, with each passing year, with each decade that moves along, that these stories that we see of people being persecuted overseas because of their faith in Jesus Christ, some even giving their lives for the sake of the gospel, 
that these are not just stories of happening to people in places where we will never go and among people whom we will never meet, but more and more and more, this is getting closer and closer and closer to our homes and to our families and to our lives and to our schools and to our church. And more and more and more, we need to be ready to live dangerously for the sake of the gospel. I am not saying this to scare anybody. I'm not saying this to elicit any reaction or any kind of shock. I am simply saying this because this is what Jesus says. He says, I'm I'm saying this just to wake us up to the reality that whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever will lose his life for my sake and the gospels, Jesus says, will save it. And as we embark on all of that and what that means. And as we speak the light of the gospel into a dark and dying world around us, we have to believe that God will fortify us to fear him instead of fearing man. Leads us right into anchor number three. God will sustain us as we wait for him. Take a look at verse 17. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lord's, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve, continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and Those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. This is a grim picture, to say the least. Especially for Daniel, right at the beginning. He's thrown into this pit of lions, and we don't know how many lions there were, but one's enough, right? Like, all you need is one, and he is angry, and he is hungry, and there Daniel is in this pit of lions, and all he has is his God. Verse 17 says that the stone was laid at the mouth. Verse 17, the king sealed it with his ring. Verse 17, nothing could be changed. Verse 18, the king spends the night fasting because he likes Daniel and realized what a horrible mistake he made. Verse 18, nothing was allowed to distract the king. Verse 18, the king could not sleep all night. Verse 20, he runs to the pit and he cries out in a tone of anguish. Like you put all of these details together and this is an absolute death sentence for Daniel. Again, thrown into a den of lions. That's a death sentence by itself. But there is no reversing any of what has just happened. The king can't change it. Daniel can't change it. The only way for Daniel to fight this battle is to wait for God. The only way for us to fight the battles against the changing cultural tides is for us to wait for God. 
Yes, we pray. We pray for God to have mercy on our nation. Yes, we continue to proclaim that Jesus is the only way to be saved, but the only way for lives to be changed, the only way for hearts to be changed, the only way for minds to be changed, the only way for people to be delivered is if God is the one who delivers them. Over the course of my sabbatical over the summer, um, I got up early just about every morning, long before my family got up, and I went out into our backyard and sat on our porch and um, just had my time alone with the Lord and in his word and some time in prayer. And, and then as soon as I was done that, um, I would watch the news. That was about the worst thing I could have done. I don't know if you've had that experience where you just watch the news and it's, you just shake your head and you wonder, is it ever going to change? Like, is it ever going to be different? came across a quote by a Christian cultural commentator. His name is John Stone Street, and he describes um, our culture as a culture of contradiction. Listen to what he says. We are a culture that, quote, fights sexual harassment after celebrating the legacy of Hugh Hefner, one that cries for human dignity while actively working to eliminate both the costly elderly and children with disabilities in utero, one that simultaneously proclaims certainty that sexual orientation is unchangeable, and yet sexual biology is up for grabs, end quote. We are a culture of contradiction, and I don't know about you, but there are times where it is extraordinarily frustrating, which is why Daniel's response in verse 22 matters so much. Take a look again at verse 22. He answers the king, and he says, my God sent his angel, And shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Daniel saying here, my God has done this. I have waited for my God, and my God has delivered me. He has done something for me that I could never do by myself. See, the challenge for us is that we read something like this, and we think of the times within our lives where we commit ourselves to waiting for God. That we're going through a storm and we're like, I am committed to waiting for God to fight this battle for me. And often, as we wait, the situation seems to get worse before it gets better. You ever notice that? Situation, yeah, amen is right. Situation gets harder before it gets easier. We just keep going back and forth and like, why is that? It's that way because we are engaged in a greater battle around us. I mean, think about this for a minute. If you are committed to living a godly life, if you are committed to holiness in your singleness, if you are committed to a godly marriage and a godly family, if you are committed to spending your retirement by advancing the cause of Jesus Christ, if you are committed to uh, integrity and to honesty in your life and in your work, if you are committed to loving and serving the helpless who cannot help themselves, if you are committed to all of those things, what do we expect, right? Like if you're committed to speaking the truth of God's word and the gospel into the lives of people that you love and that you respect and that you want to help when they are going through difficult times, what do we expect? We are engaged in a battle for the souls of people whom God loves and Satan is seeking to destroy. Went to a conference this week with a number of people within our church here and a couple of the main sessions of that conference took us to Ephesians chapter 6 where the Apostle Paul exhorts us to put on the full armor of God. And when we put on the full armor of God, we are to stand firm against the fiery darts of the evil one. 
It is so important, loved ones, for us to stand firm, dressed in the full armor of God at all times. Because when Satan starts pinging his fiery arrows towards us, they just ping right off of us because we're dressed, we're clothed in the full armor of God from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet. We are standing on the solid ground of the gospel and we are embracing that and we are defending that gospel with everything that we have. And we stand there clothed in this full armor. Satan pings us with his fiery darts and they just ping right off of us because God is our protector. So when Satan starts pinging the fiery darts of the origins of humanity and, and he comes to us and says, were you really created in God's image? Or, or are you just the result of some evolutionary process that was randomly kicked into motion billions of years ago? You're not really created in God's image, are you? And he pings that fiery dart against us and it pings right off of us because we're clothed in God's full armor. When Satan pings the fiery darts of the sexual revolution or he pings the fiery darts of the nature of our identity as human beings and as followers of Jesus Christ or he pings the fiery darts of religious liberty or social justice or the authority and the sufficiency of God's word for the world in which we live, all of those fiery darts just ping right off of us because we're clothed in the full armor of God and we're standing on the ground of the gospel that we have been given to embrace and defend at any cost. When we stand on the ground of the gospel and the word of God, that is where victory is found. That is where freedom is found. Loved ones, your victory and your freedom will never be found by moving off of the ground of the gospel and onto another piece of real estate that looks easier to you. Your victory and your freedom is found in standing firmly on the gospel of Jesus Christ, on the truth of God's word. So no matter what fiery dart is pinged your way, it pings right off because God is your protector. So we have to believe that God will sustain us as we wait for him. Leads us to fourth and final anchor. No matter what storm you're going through, you can drop these into the water and know that God will keep you close. Anchor number four, God will glorify himself through our deliverance. God will glorify himself through our deliverance. Notice verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Wow, what a reversal. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Notice here that God is not just glorified for what he did, but he is glorified first for who he is. Darius writes this letter to anyone in the kingdom who will be able to hear it, and he declares, this king declares that Daniel's God is the living God and that he endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His authority will never end. Why? Because he's the God who rescues and delivers. He is the God who works signs and wonders on heaven and earth. And oh, by the way, he's the God who happened to save Daniel from the pit of the lions. See, God takes a situation that was manipulated into motion by evil people whose hearts were far from God, and God takes that and he turns it and he uses it for his glory. And when we begin to see the story of Daniel in the lion's den like that, we begin to see now the parallels to the cross of Jesus Christ. 
The leaders conspired against Daniel and they found no corruption in him and so they falsely accused him and in the moment of his greatest suffering, Daniel entrusted himself to his heavenly father. The leaders conspired against Jesus and they found no corruption in him so they falsely accused him and in the moment of his greatest suffering, Jesus entrusted himself to his heavenly father. God took a situation that was manipulated into motion by people with evil hearts who were far from him, taking Jesus to the cross. And God took that situation and he used it to bring amazing glory to himself. And yet it's at this point that we begin to see that Jesus is actually greater than Daniel. Daniel, you could say, rose from the grave only to die again. But Jesus rose from the grave to live forever so that all who would acknowledge their sin before a holy God and who would turn away from that sin in repentance and place their faith in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sins and the hope of eternal life will be forgiven by God and will know him forever. God delivering Daniel from the pit of lions gave Israel the hope that they would be delivered from the pit of exile. God raising Jesus from the dead gives us the hope that God will one day raise us from the dead as well. See, loved ones, your first step toward victory in your life, your first step to standing strong in the midst of the storms, whether they're personal storms around you or cultural storms that you see brewing all around you all the time, regardless of what the storm is, your first step to victory is trusting your life to Jesus Christ. So if you're here this morning and you have not done that, you have not acknowledged your sin before this holy God and sought forgiveness from him through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, if you have not repented of your sins, if you have not turned away from your sins and turned to Jesus in faith to be forgiven of your sins and know that your eternity is secure in him, then we invite you right now in this moment to do that. Turn away from your sins and turn to Jesus. See, until you do that, there may be circumstances within your storms that will change, but your hope will not. You need to begin by turning away from yourself and turning to Jesus Christ. For the rest of us as believers, we have four biblical anchors that we can drop into the water of any storm that we go through and know that God will keep us close. God will strengthen us to live differently. God will fortify us to fear him. God will sustain us as we wait for him. And God will glorify himself through our deliverance.